I, I will say, um, mm-hmm. this is not a commission I would accept if I was in the military. I would not be a submarine man. I don't. I don't see it as a enjoyable experience being sliced. I, I don't even what? know about like a two-hour tour on a submarine. Does not sound like an awesome idea to me. Do it. It doesn't seem uh-huh. like this seems super hard. I mean, it's probably difficult. I take it back. It's probably really hard. But like, I don't know. You're not like. Oh, I see you as kind of like the funny guy who works in the cook's room before it yes. catches on fire, and you're like cracking wise and flipping eggs and stuff like that. <laughs> I'm just cracking you're, eggs you're, all over the place. You're, you're not making any like Vigo Mortensen level decisions. Oh, hell no. Hell, yeah. see, that's the thing. I'm just in the back. I'm in the kitchen. I'm making omelets for everybody. Yeah, it's Sunday. Got to put ham in those yeah, omelets on like, Sunday. Yeah, they like the there's a deleted scene that they from the end of Crimson Tide where Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman are like, man, we really had our differences. But one thing we can agree on, I like that Patrick guy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he makes great eggs. I like his yeah. eggs. Yeah, like he, like he made living on a submarine just this much better. <laughs> Thank Aww. you. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would. Yeah, I would definitely. Although I feel like I would probably end up like Steve Zahn. I'd, I'd end up. You get drowning. like a. You get like a card from both of them. It says, "I know we made a real mess of things, but you certainly didn't in the kitchen." Gene <laughs> and Denzel. P.S. <laughs> <laughs> you're fired for starting that grease fire. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and nearly like, killed us all. Nearly killed us all. Definitely killed one of your crewmates. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. We got two of our favorites leading this one too. I'm Don Saunderson. Oh, and I'm Patrick Gremion. Oh, they're too good. Two good actors, folks. Two good actors. Welcome to the Academy. Welcome to the USS Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, folks. We are back with Tony Scott this week with his 1995 submarine action thriller, Crimson mm. Tide. Holy shit. I watched this first thing in the morning a couple of days ago, and my ass got rocked. I yes. love this. Love it's it. good. I hadn't seen it in years. I texted my brother right afterwards. I was like, have you seen this recently? He just takes me back. Slaps so hard. <laughs> this like, is yep. like the platonic ideal of a TNT movie. This is like literally what every movie that gets played on TNT strives to be. I, I'm like utterly stunned this was not in my dad's like highest level rotation. Ooh. Among his favorite movies, because this dad's dad, all the dads out there, we found the movie for we found the movie for you. You ain't seen this one before. Oh, this is a dad film if there ever was one. And there's like you know, for young dads, you have Denzel. For older dads, you have Gene Hackman. Yeah, every dad gets friends of dads. You have Vigo Mortensen or George Dezunza. Yeah. (laughs) For uh, <laughs> weird uncles, you have James Gandolfini. <laughs> yeah, nerdy uncles, Matt Craven. Yeah, nerdy uncles, Matt Craven. It's all happening on, yes. on board the USS Alabama. It's a rainbow of deads. Oh, uh, it is. Every type of dead. You know, I saw it a bunch of times. This is, man, I, I, I mean, I distinctly, I didn't see it in the theater, unfortunately, that high, that high summer of 1995, but I, I, Bought it off of pay-per-view immediately mm. upon release. Did somebody go to Costco and buy a blank video cassette to record that off of pay-per-view and then proceed with their brother to watch it a bunch of times afterwards? You better believe we did. 
Oh, and that's how yeah. that was our Crimson Tide experience. Man, uh, those are the days you can't you can't just like record stuff on TV anymore. It's just a, well, it's a shame. it was such a it was such a big thing. Like we, I, I had like the calendar because there's only like one pay per view channel, and they played them at different times of the day. Like HBO would play movies at different times of the day, mm-hmm. and so it would be like. Oh my God! There's only one. There's only they're only showing Mall Rats five times, and most of them are like three in the morning. <laughs> How am I gonna talk my parents into ordering this <laughs> so I could tape it? <laughs> this is our one chance to watch Ghosts of Mississippi. We it, can't fuck yeah, this up. Oh, I, all the all the kids, all the kids. We had school the next day. We were talking Ghosts of Mississippi. <laughs> all the kids, Ghosts of Mississippi mania swept the nation. But this was a huge, 95 was like, and we will get more into it next week when we cover the other two 1995 films from the Simpson-Brockheimer realm. They, you know, a quick tease Oh, next week's episode. Basically, they had left Paramount the last time we talked to them and they had signed a big deal with Disney. The Visionary Alliance did not last particularly long at Paramount but it was back with Disney. Mm. And they built up their resources. They had a bunch of projects and in 95 they hit with three massive hits in three different areas. Of course it was Michael Bay's debut feature film Bad Boys, the Michelle Pfeiffer white savior inner city drama Dangerous Minds (laughs) and Of course, Tony Scott's Crimson Tide. And our bo- Simpson and Bruckheimer, yeah, back on top of the box office food chain. But would it last? And how much longer did Don Simpson have to even enjoy any of it? That's a tease for next week. We are talking about one of the movies this week, Tony Scott's Crimson Tide. This movie is currently available on, I watched it on Epics, which I think is a part of Paramount Plus now. I think you're right. I feel like I I might have just rented it on uh, on Amazon, but I think I saw the Epic's like logo before yeah, it appeared. It was so I think free. you're right. It was free. I did not have to pay anything for it. Apparently, it's also on Disney Plus, which seems no way. Yeah, at least according to my Google search for Crimson Tide streaming, it said Disney Plus, and I was like a little like, man, I I I I, I like my heart goes out. To any of the kids who think they're just watching another Star Wars or something like that, and they stumble upon Crimson Tide and their lives are changed forever when they see dudes being dudes fighting dudes in moral quandaries aboard a nuclear submarine. People that were heroes in the 90s would have been at the Jan 6 riots. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, a year ago. I think that we're going to spoil it. A bit, because I think getting into some of the um, back and forth, the moral quandaries that the characters uh, have in this film is worth discussing. Yes. Um, I think it's a really, really, like, you know, I guess to start off with a little bit of that before we get into some production details, I think it really handles it in such a mature way and in a way that doesn't, like, nothing, everything is pretty gray in this movie, and I like that. Yeah, you get the sense that, like, it really is, like, a flip of the coin. Like, the big, like, like because, like, they just don't know. They don't know the situation with, with mm-hmm. the big moment, which we'll discuss, you know, uh, as we discuss the movie later on. But, and they're like, both alphas who are beyond confident. And they're, they're not like the going to back the down. Best. They're the best, yeah. yeah. And it's so exciting to see that. 
like it's like that's like movie drama conflict that you're just craving whenever yeah. you said it whenever you step into any kind of movie is that level of like the highest level conflict basically mm-hmm. oh yeah and the stakes are so they do a yeah. good such a good job of like the stakes are so fucking high in this movie i know and they, <laughs> they lay it out like super easily and then because when they lay out the stakes both denzel washington and gene hackman are like utterly on the same page these are high stakes we agree yeah. and they do so many nice things like when denzel washington takes over the boat and the Russian sub is after them, and he like leads the way to the in the defensive and then offensive maneuvers. You're like all that shit Gene Hackman was talking about how this guy has no like war or like real combat experience. It's like no, this guy's good. He knows yes. what he's doing. It <laughs> doesn't matter. Yeah, he's been. Yeah, he's good at this. He's very yeah. good at this job. <laughs> well, it's also like you know you think about it. You know, I feel like uh, being a sub captain is one of those things that is like easier to emulate in like a classroom environment than being like on the front lines of like the Iraq war or something for example like it's a little easier to be like a, a to transition from like a desk jockey to someone in combat I imagine in that well, and that's also I think a big part of this movie is this idea of like okay here's a book of rules yes this is what we follow we all have memorized them, but our interpretations of these yeah. rules is where all the conflict lies. Like everyone has agreement about how things work. It's <laughs> just you know, and that it just makes it so compelling. It's like it's, and that's why I'm gonna use the word mature for like mm-hmm. a Tony Scott Simpson Bruckheimer movie, which usually isn't the case. Um, there are no easy answers. They don't try and provide any easy answers. There's no clear, like, despite the fact, like, and I guess this would be a good way into the casting and everything like that. Yeah, let's do it. Um, despite the fact that, like, I had a pretty solid corner I was in mm-hmm. among the two leads and their points of view, the entire movie. I was, like, firmly with Denzel Washington. Yeah. And I don't know where, and I think, and I wonder if, like, if you talk to a more conservative viewer, Mm-hmm. of um crimson tide if they would be like no gene hackman was right we need to be right like the fear of russians going first is worth it and those on the more liberal and the spectrum who want to avoid war at all costs and think it's like about being preventative rather than yeah like Especially when, like, aggressive. Thing... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's personality thing, too. Are you an aggressive person or are you more of a, like, a safe, preventative person? Mm-hmm. And I know I've definitely fallen the preventative, safe side of things. I think you do, too. <laughs> yeah. Nah, I wanted him to nuke that fucker. Yeah, I nuke, was... nuke him. Nu- nuke nuke Rachenko. him. <laughs> Take down Rachenko. <laughs> oh, my God. I love. Richenko oh yeah, we'll get into Richenko. His Dracula voice is very good. That's no. <laughs> perfect. So Richenko is played by Daniel Van Bargen, who we've seen before. He was interrogating Wesley Snipes in Rising Sun. He was one of the um, um, oh. internal affairs, one of the many internal affairs officers we've he's met like, over the course. I, of the I believe he's also in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Right? Yeah, and he's, he's um probably I know him best. He's Mr. Kruger, one of George's most noteworthy bosses on Seinfeld. Ah. <laughs> he's, at the, he's in the festivus episode and they're deciding who gets to do the feats of strength 
and it gets quiet for a second that he just pipes up how about george and i always think of him saying that one line every time i see him i'm just like how about george <laughs> uh, yeah and he's like so i was like wow that guy's playing like a russian dissident <laughs> it's wild i mean maybe it's just having that von bargained i don't know yeah 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 well he's a good he, he was a good actor he's since passed but he's a really good actor um yes. so back to production Tony Scott is coming off of True Romance, a movie mm-hmm. that um, obviously now has a extreme and large cult following, but at the time was a massive disappointment, at least in a box office standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to that is Last Boy Scout, which did okay. Another movie that also now has a massive cult following. Um, <laughs> but like most of his movies, I mean, I like, you know, I keep thinking about Revenge. Like mm. <laughs> another non-successful movie, but basically, if you look at his, like what some the bean counters would say, um, his box office totals, um, only his collaborations with Simpson and Bruckheimer have been true out-and-out successes mm. at the box office. Uh, Top Gun, Billy Hills Cop Two, Days of Thunder. So, Simpson and Bruckheimer have their new deal at Disney. They are looking to put together some of these pat some of these films they've been developing so this one apparently much like top gun simpson happened upon like five minutes of a documentary about nuclear submarines and was like there's an idea it's <laughs> another one of those situations where wasn't he like in a was he oh he was just not watching it on tv but he's always like flipping through a magazine or like in a waiting room and then he'll see something and that's like yeah, that's our movie now there's, yeah so they were like that seems like a neat thing <laughs> basically <Yeah. laughs> and they um so they started developing that they brought in screenwriter um michael schiffer to handle the job and um michael schiffer uh also wrote the movies colors the incendiary dennis hopper directed robert duvall sean penn la cop movie and lean, a mean lean movie. on me it, it, yeah it's a, it's a rough one it's cool yeah. it's rough oh, totally totally yeah <laughs> if, I, I have not seen it in probably 20 years and my guess is that there's probably a few elements that in our modern viewing eyes we would say we're a little <laughs> oh no oh, but no. who's to say it looks like he's doing a lot of video game writing he wrote like call of duty um oh that makes sense you know, actually makes sense yeah. coming off this you know it seems like yeah. he's got the um You've got that like niche of being able to write military stuff. Mm-hmm. I think you're always going to have a job in oh, Hollywood yeah. for better or worse. That. Some people, some people would argue that's a very bad thing. Yeah, <laughs> but, he can uh, write that Clancy noir. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, if Krasinski needs you to write episode six of Jack Ryan season three, uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're set. So they start developing the story, and um, they initially get the chance to check out some submarines because they as we all know simpson bruckheimer and scott have a good relationship with the u.s military based upon top gun they don't and they even like all of them get to ride on a submarine and get to do some like hands-on stuff but then when they of course present the script to the u.s navy and the navy discovers that it's essentially about a mutinous battle between high-ranking officers aboard a nuclear submarine, they are not thrilled 
with that storyline. Yeah, Navy's like, no, no, no. Like, ah. So they had to kind of work around it a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. And the Navy was told the story would be the hunt for Red October meets 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> All right, man. <laughs> I guess whatever you have to do to sell the movie. <laughs> yes. And, um, but they put together the script. Everyone thought it was a hot idea. And Simpson and Brockheimer, their first thought was, we've got our lead character, one of our two leads, but our, our hard-ass Captain Frank Ramsey, commanding officer of the USS Alabama. We got to get, and that they're 1,000% right, because they were talking about how they didn't normally go too star-heavy mm-hmm. in their earlier movies. Uh, Captain Frank Ramsey is for a veteran movie star. Yeah, There's... well, usually, yeah, they're usually they're making the star in their movies. Exactly, but I and I agree. I I think like you write a part like this, you're going to the big guns. Yes, and they're gonna and the big guns are gonna want to play this role. And yeah, Simpson goes to <laughs> his belief is that there's only one man for the role. I don't actually see this at all, personally. <laughs> I saw this. I I think you saw this too. He believes it's his um, fellow horn dog, Warren Beatty. Oh, and I love I like Warren Beatty. I really do. He I like a lot of his stuff, and I think he's a really interesting guy. And he's made a lot of great things. He's not like a screamer. He doesn't like do angry. He's like a little more befuddled. He's foppish. Yeah, he's like. You see, you understand that he's like this, like, dude who was a player all through the 70s and seems to have, like, walked away from it just fine. And everyone says, like, yeah, he's a nice guy. <laughs> you know, it's like, he's kind well, of a like, Yeah, he's, like, he's charming, like, too. Yeah, like, he, he's, yeah, he's way too smooth, too. Yes. And so, but they went with him. They were like, he's the guy. He's going to be great. But Warren Beatty is, like, notoriously... um picky and indecisive mm-hmm. and that's why like you'll see if you take a look at his imdb or go to his wikipedia page or something and you could see the breaks between especially once he started directing the extended breaks between actual things he does he oh. like tink- he tinkers with them all the time there's this famous story on mccabe and mrs miller that um they were shooting like in the cold this like dialogue scene and it's just going on and on and on because Beatty was asking for more takes and Robert Altman was like I want to go smoke a joint and go to bed basically <laughs> and he goes oh, you've produced before you can finish it up and Altman just took off like, he was like I don't need this anymore man you got it already like, <laughs> uh, he like self Kubricks. that's incredible yeah, yeah he does yeah and <laughs> so he's like and he like brings in writer after writer it's so like and especially once he started directing, casting him in something that he did not direct is a real minefield. It's like a difficult thing to get him to do anything. I I know Tarantino went to him for Kill Bill. He thought he to play Bill, which would have been that, really actually yeah, would have worked and would have been that, really really interesting. Yeah, that would have <laughs> been the perfect like role for him. Honestly, like, yeah, Tarantino like, was incredible and yeah, perfect. And we in don't, it, but... Yeah, there's no reason to change history, but that would have been really interesting. Yes. I think. Um, and I think Bill's the same kind of guy. You need yeah, a very specific him. guy to play kind of... I mean, the movie's called Kill Bill. Bill has to be a pretty good actor. <laughs> like, yes. So, while he was dilly-dallying around, they went to another actor who actually 
would have hit a home run <laughs> in the role. Uh, and that is, of course, our great friend Al Pacino. Yes. And, yeah. We all know he this. Yeah, he would have he would have made a meal out of this one. This made for him. Made for him. Him. Slade. Just have him. Yeah, it would have been just like a like a like a more focused Frank Slade. <laughs> yeah, who can see? Yeah, <laughs> like he would have crushed it. But they ended up going down the list a little bit further because Al was bouncing around between stuff as well, mm-hmm. and they ended up with the right casting. Yeah, that's me. You know, I mean the great I Gene, great Gene Hackman, perfect casting. Yeah, there's like a curmudgeoniness to Gene Hackman that's so like uniquely him and he's like he's like that his voice even they don't just there aren't americans like him anymore no like no like he's I, like a very he, that's there's a reason why he's the example of like when people talk about young actors where like everyone says where's the new gene hackman because he's just not he's not there they don't exist yeah, yeah they, they doesn't exist <laughs> they went out they went out like uh like the dodo my man like they're gone he, he's so like compelling and commanding and scary mm-hmm. and intense but also like he's charming too mm-hmm. so it's like he he keeps you on edge much like the character frank ramsey is keeping everyone around him on edge Mm-hmm. To show how in control he is, um, yeah. And, well, and he's also just like, like you said earlier, he's just someone who is—he has total, complete faith in himself. Yeah, and that can be—you need someone like that at that level, but that can also be really bad when you're clashing with someone else with simi- a similar mental view of themselves. Well, this is like a lot of leadership that you see, especially masculine leadership. I think where it's like. You've reached this place. You're completely competent. You're really, really good at your job. Mm-hmm. But you also totally believe it. And that could go into a really like rough spot. I mean, that's what you hear about like the stories of James Cameron. James Cameron is Frank Ramsey. Essentially. Yes. <laughs> like, and he loves that submarines is... too. <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And like those people are brilliant and great leaders and like 98% of the time are probably doing things perfectly. But there is that 2% chance that they can start a nuclear war. <laughs> it's Cameron. Be careful with Avatar the Way of Water. Yeah, I mean, you, you don't know, the what, wrong you message, don't know what kind of cosmic technology he's working with. So. <laughs> it's like he's made a Stargate for his movie. Yeah, exactly. Um but clearly, once you when you're going for an actor of this caliber to play Frank Ramsey, mm-hmm. to play the co-lead, uh, Lieutenant Commander Ron Hunter, XL, Executive Officer, to those not in the military. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. um, mm-hmm. you, you need a similarly compelling presence. A lot of young actors wanted to play the role of Lieutenant Commander Ron Hunter, the one that, number one on the list, that they were circling uh during the Pacino slash um Beatty era was Brad Pitt to play the Ooh, role. Interesting. Which, um I think he I don't think he was right. As, especially the way they went, I don't think he can at least at that point in his life mm-hmm. as an actor. Like if you think about um him in seven Paired with Morgan Freeman, another pairing, young, old, mm-hmm. classic, new. 
uh, he he has to play a character who's like kind of callow and a little too overconfident. Like you never think David Mills is like absolutely right in right. Seven, whereas like you need someone who could hold their own against Gene Hackman and eventually kind of be an equal with mm-hmm. him in like competence and confidence. And Brad Pitt has like a little too much California Surfer dude. Yeah, like, there's like <laughs> a, I feel like there's like an air like. It's young not Brad, he, he, young Brad, that is. Yeah, young Brad. Yeah, because it's not like if young Brad is like, I think it's like he's such a kind of like alpha dude in a weird way that he would almost come off as smug, even though he's yeah. not being smug, and that would be kind of like, and it's almost like the same him and yeah, like him and Warren Beatty have same similar energies. Yeah, just, yeah. Just not, think, yeah. Well, you gotta get a guy who like has like a strong, almost rigid. Like they can play strong, rigid morality. Yes, really, really well. You, you and, need a believable family man. Yeah, yeah, and a lot, <laughs> and especially you're like early nineties. Like he's Floyd. No. He's yes. on that on that. <laughs> he's you know? smoking that honey bear. He's not touching the kids. <laughs> yeah, and um, so then they also um, Val Kilmer was after the role. Oh, um, which yeah, I guess Val Kilmer I just love working with our man tony and like yeah. i'll take anything you could throw me like he was trying for a part in every tony scott movie it seems yeah uh, I would, I think it could have worked actually val kilmer's such a wild card that would have been interesting at the very least i think he would have been like i think he was too big of a star at this point but i think like if you had cast him in like a really about face casting as like vigo's role or Cobb, i think he really or even gandolfini i think he yeah. really would have shined in Val Kilmer like smoking a cigarette in that like yeah. weird light. Yeah. yeah I think he, he has that. And I think but I think it's like he's only gonna do too many like small role favors in 1995. Like yeah. and then the other guy they looked at who I actually think probably could have done it is Andy Garcia. Interesting. Yeah, he could have done it. I think he could have done it. Yeah, especially the more he's a little more mature than he was as an actor um, when we last saw him in Black Rain or um, Godfather Three. You know, he's now less of like the young hothead, and he's more of like, you know, he's now you know approaching his like mid like he's about the I believe he and Denzel Washington are about same age in real life. Mm. So I and I think that's another thing too is a little bit older. Mm -hmm. Like I think Brad Pitt was too young. Yeah, you need someone who's like has a, some acting under his belt already that was like kind of already like really, really established. Like Brad Pitt was, I guess, a, kind of established at this point, but he wasn't like he's still pretty like elite. hot. Like this was the same year, I believe. Seven came out ninety five. Oh, okay. So wow, okay. Um, yeah, he's in. He's in. He's in. Great year. Oh man, <laughs> what a year for cinema! What, folks. A, what a year for like. I think Babe came out that year too. Blockbuster <laughs> cinema, man. Um, <laughs> So, but they ended up going with Denzel Washington, um, and this is the when you watch the movie, you're like, "Yeah, this was the only choice." He's the only guy who could stand up to Gene Hackman, I think. Yeah. <laughs> if you like, and fight Gene Hackman at the at a, at a, like Gene Hackman is such a powerful actor. Anyone younger, I guess, anyone younger than Gene Hackman, like you put Clint Eastwood in the role we might have a different conversation yeah clint eastwood could have played ramsey yes well and like if you have two old like it's 
that's a totally different movie. Totally that's different like, dynamic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need that. Like, yeah. Well, the thing about Denzel Washington, he's like one of the few actors that you believe that could like punch out Gene Hackman. Like Gene Hackman is this big, intimidating guy, and he's older, I guess. But like, or I don't know or, that... or withstand a punch from Gene Hackman and not blink. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> just like, just take it, take it, yeah. take the blood. Oh my what god, god yeah. what a scene, man! What a scene! Yes, that is. yeah. Oh god, when he when he has like the blood coming down yeah. his nose, and he's like, he's I not backing down at all. It's so good. Oh, god, it's man, that's like, like the ultimate own. It's very good. Yeah. So, but they. If you think this movie stops, though, with these two guys, Mm-mm. you got another thing coming. This is a boat jam-packed with great dudes. Yeah. Um, this, this, this movie makes White Squall look like shit. Yes, it's, you God. know, the funniest part, we'll start with him, why not? Staring at a fish tank, doing nothing else in this movie, in his first ever role right before White Squall, doing a similar thing, playing the role of Seaman Gratham, Ryan Phillippe is in the movie. Here. And I love the Scott brothers watching each other's movies and saying, I like that dude. I'm bringing him in on my movie and vice versa. They are a shared brain trust of casting fun people. And this movie is so filled with it. So we'll start off with Chief of Boat Walters, otherwise known as Cobb, not his name. <laughs> Which, uh, different, yeah, I didn't even know his name was Walters. I just I thought they only referred to him as Cobb the entire movie. Is great character actor George Zinza, uh, playing the role of Lieutenant Roy Zimmer, communications officer. The great Matt Craven, Ooh. excellent in the movie, um, playing the role of Lieutenant Peter Ince, weapons officer, otherwise known as Weps. Academy Academy uh, All Star uh, Vigo Mortensen. Returns to the show this week. Yes, you believe this character is not wearing a diaper. No, not wearing not a at diaper all. at all, but she just chain smoking cigarettes in the whole no. of the ship. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he, he is like, it is, his range is incredible. Because this is, is the such... antithesis to his Carlito's Way character. It is like, well, it's like, he just keeps doing it. He just keeps doing it for us. Like, think about him even in a dumb. Dumb crap like Boiling Point. God, he's like, he's like the, the one, like him and Dennis Hopper are the two like shining lights in that like odious, that and Wesley Snipes' kick. That's like all that keeps that yeah. movie going. But like, and we're going to see it again because he goes in, um, plays a major role in G.I. Jane in a few weeks. But why he was like, until he got Lord of the Rings. He's just this guy waiting in the wings in the 90s. Of like Everyone's seeing him. Everyone's like, this guy's like popping. He's stealing scenes nonstop. When's he going to get the big lead role? Oh, and, he, and then he gets like <laughs> arguably the biggest lead role of his generation. Oh, yeah. yeah he's movies. fucking Aragorn. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. it, well, what's nuts, too, is like he's always like until Aragorn – He's always playing like the heavy. He's always like a yeah. military guy, or even because even like his Carlitos or, Way character is like was once a heavy. Like it's or always a creepy, like hitman or a bad guy. Because I think yeah. he's got like he's got this like great look where he's he's like he's handsome, but he's also like got hit like I my favorite actors are those ones who like in their eyes you could see they're up to something. Yeah. So like goes their eyes. It's like what's he thinking about? Like you know, and like that's like draws you into an actor. I think is like that whole like what are they thinking about like, oh yeah well vibe to them there's... and like and all the best actors have it 
And there's another actor that uh, we I don't think we've said yet that also has eyes. He's up next, uh, oh, Lieutenant uh, Lieutenant Bobby Doherty, Supply Officer Suppo. James Gandolfini is back on the Ooh. show this week after his um, star-making turn in True Romance. Tony Scott invites him back into the fold, and he like pops yet again, pops yeah. yet again. Um, Rocky Carroll is Lieutenant Derek Westergaard, Operations Officer Ops, uh, <laughs> who who like is kind of in a buddy movie with Matt Craven. <laughs> yeah, those two are <laughs> friends. Yeah, yeah, they're like together all the time. Um, I want to give a couple like some of the smaller those are kind of our like big the biggest characters throughout the film but there are mm-hmm. also a lot of very exciting faces that show up in smaller but equally riveting roles I love Danny Nucci as Petty Officer Danny Ooh. Rivetti Sonar Supervisor yeah uh, I for, you know what? I for, he was in Titanic too I forgot about yes him. oh yeah you're right I always liked him like I I'll, I like him in every he's in the rock. We'll see him in that in a couple yeah. weeks too. He's a great actor. Yeah. I wish he like yeah, he can cuz he has like I, when I was a kid, him. I put a lot of stock into him in like 1995. <laughs> I was like this guy's going to be he's going to be a big deal. I, I like this all your guy. money on Nucci. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I mean it didn't like totally pan out, but I think he, I believe he's had a like he he works to this day. He's a good Oh yeah, know, he was on Law and Order, I think yeah. or something. Yeah, he's fine. I want to give a shout out to Lilo Broncado Jr. who plays Petty Officer Third Class Russell Vossler, radio operator, who Ooh. fixing the damn radio. The entire movie is on his shoulders to fix that damn radio. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> he, he is the secret star of the film. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Perhaps the sweatiest character in a film full of sweaty, sweaty men. <laughs> oh my God, yeah, that place must smell so bad. <laughs> um, child actor turned um, adult leading man turned... Uh, Boycotter of mask policy at Costco. Ricky Schroeder is in the mix. (laughs) (laughs) Who gets a great scene because he's the guy who has to shut the um, shut the 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 hole Steve Zahn's in. Oh, oh my God! Yeah, what a brutal moment. He does get one really, really great scene, and he's Lieutenant Paul Hellerman, damage control officer. Cool Uh name, cool job. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Steve Zahn, the aforementioned, who another guy like Danny Nucci in the '90s, I put a lot of stock into. I was a big fan. Like I was like, this guy pops. I really like this guy a lot, and he's done great. He's done great. You know, my I think my I think I made my money back. On Steve's own. Oh, hell, rescue Don alone. Yeah. Yeah, he is great. I love Steve's on. And I was like kind of laughing at first because, like, is his job in this movie just to kind of like smoke cigarettes and like give like response glances? No, he's involved in one of the more tragic scenes in the film. Yes. It is. He plays Seaman William Barnes. Mm. Um, and then finally, um, in an uncredited appearance at the end, adding. True gravity in a final casting coup de gras, if you will. Mm-hmm. Jason Robards as Rear Admiral Anderson, who is a uh, Navy court. <laughs> yeah, in a very Reb Hornian role. Mm-hmm. But because he's actually like James Rebhorn, another man born with a look yes. of like annoying authority man. <laughs> Jason Robards has like seen it all authority man, who the only kind of like. You got to get an actor older than Gene Hackman, basically. Yeah. Who was just just as respected, but older than Gene Hackman, to be able to like have authority over Gene Hackman. 
Yeah, someone who would believably play a father figure to Gene Hackman. Yeah, yeah, or like at least like a mentor to Gene Hackman, which I think yeah. that that's kind of the relationship that they put out there at the end of the movie. Who mm-hmm. I'm like out of breath because all like and guess what, folks? Every single one of them is good. Every single yeah. one of them is well cast in this movie. They all pop. So, they went into production on the film, and Tony Scott and the Simpson Bruckheimer duo thought that while the script structurally was in great was in great shape, and I think that you have to give screenwriter uh, Michael uh, Michael Schiffer a huge credit for an amazing structure and design of this movie. Everything. Mm-hmm really works out well every set piece leads into every set piece every twist and turn every choice is really well put together yeah it's a well-oiled machine in the film it's like it yeah really it's, like is. A, it's a swiss watch it's incredible you know, in a days of thunder situation where you need a third act like it's there yeah. the, and you're not the, making that third act in like a budget hotel in south carolina exactly so but what they felt and I think this is a really nice place to be with blockbuster filmmaking. It's like, we need some spice. We need some specialists, like all of our specialists on board the submarine that we just named. We need some specialists on the screenwriting end to come in and add a few extra touches to put this thing over the top. Mm-hmm. Luckily on Speed Dial, they have two people who they have worked with before. They bring in Robert Town to set the table in a brilliant scene a dinner scene between yeah. Hackman, Denzel, and some of the leading, um, the higher up officers, in mm-hmm. which um, they use a they, they use military metaphor to and philosophy to get into both of these two characters' abiding philosophy. Yeah, like primarily Karl von Clausewitz's on war, which is like yeah, which is my my, my grandfather's favorite book. And town knocks it's a home run. Mm-hmm. It rules. It crushes. It's so good. It's just like, yeah, the well, and what's great about that scene, too, is it really just it sets the just you get where Denzel Washington's character is coming from. <laughs> and you I'm get where sure Gene Hackman's character is coming they from. They had it in like Schiffer's outline and kind of the discussions. This mm-hmm. is the scene where that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. So all you need to ask is a pro like Robert Town is come in and do the best version of we, we know what yes. needs to come out of this scene. So just do the best version of that. Like, and when you're like a interesting creative mind, like Robert Town, you're going to come in with a cool plan to execute yes! that scene. And rather than being stuck in a smoking joints in a North Carolina hotel room, trying to come up with how on earth you're going to make Cole Trickle interesting. <laughs> oh, like his name is Cole Trickle. That's enough. <laughs> He's got dad issues. They all do. <laughs> fuck, fuck, fuck. I wish I wish Jack Nicholson was still here. <laughs> Doug. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then on the flip side of that, they felt that the movie needed a little bit more of like a modernist, postmodern, pop culturally comedic punch. Mm. So Tony Scott brings in his friend and perhaps mentee, Quentin Tarantino, who this is nineteen ninety. This is the spring of nineteen ninety four when this is happening, mm. in nary like two months time, 
Pulp Fiction would premiere at the Cannes Film Festival. And Tarantino would be the yeah. superstar. <laughs> the- yeah, he's like his at his uh, one at one of his uh, various peaks at this point for sure. Yes, but this is like when he be- the rise became utterly meteoric. Mm, Shortly like thereafter, how- when Pulp Fiction plays and wins the Cannes Film Festival, and like yeah, but and on set. There was one person who was not drinking the Quentin Tarantino Kool-Aid. And that would be Denzel Washington. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Denzel Washington had a real issue with the... And, the, you know, obviously this is a very gray area here. And mm-hmm. I, I tend to believe that Tarantino does this not out of personal beliefs, but rather two separate things. He wants to... He has a firm belief in characters playing in the gray and being interesting is better than likable. And Mm -hmm. he never suggests that anyone who uses racial slurs in his movies is a good person. Yeah. (laughs) You you definitely don't get that from like true romance. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like there is no arg. He's not arguing that they are morally sound or heroic. He's Mm -hmm. just presenting them. And two, I think he has a almost unstoppable perverse desire to provoke yeah i was thinking that too he is like a bit of a like not even like a modern like online edge lord he's like an old school edge lord like yeah like early era david cross style edge lord i think like in the same vein like you know lars von trier can't help himself yeah um and that can get you into trouble yeah, that'll get you into hot water for sure. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, that'll and, do but it. Unlike, I also think the other thing about Tarantino, he's so confident. Don't give him the nuclear codes. Oh, yeah, he's hackmaning. He's never once backed it, backed off no. at all from any of it. He And even in his book, which I read in two fucking days earlier this week, um, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't put it down. Um, you know, he talks about the fact that, like, even as a kid, like, the craziest stuff, the most violent stuff, the most provocative stuff was the stuff he wanted. He he found the other shit boring. And he is interested in what lies at the darkness that lies at the heart of people. Mm-hmm. And that is... um again provocative and for some people could be you know one toke over the line (laughs) yeah and it was for denzel washington he did not like the use of in particular racial slurs in reservoir dogs and pulp fiction did not want to say tarantino's new dialogue at all Mm. which apparently did verge on it and i do wonder about the final scene with the horses if tarantino wrote that scene Mm. because that's the first time Ramsey's character is outright racist right and I don't I didn't really like it personally I didn't think it fit yeah um, it was a it felt yeah it felt uh, it's interesting it like, was a little hat on hat almost it was like these guys don't need more conflict yeah this guy already <laughs> is like like he lets his dog pee all over the submarine that's enough that's like he's like holding a gun 
to like some like random yes. soldier to convince Viggo Mortensen to do shit. Like <laughs> he don't even feel like we and yeah, he's racist. racist. Yeah, it, yeah, I didn't yeah, I didn't need it at all. No, personally. no. It's like, yeah, it's unnecessary. And I mean the subtext of the movie is working enough by casting these two guys. It's like, oh, one's young and black, one is white and old. What do you think that's... is happening here anyway? Like yes. <laughs> you know, so you know, like consciously or subconsciously otherwise. Like it's yes. interesting when it's not said to read it in that light though and be mm-hmm. like an intelligent viewer who doesn't need that like yeah. throwing at them like we can see, we have eyes we can see we're watching this movie it's engaging um so apparently Denzel Washington like straight up confronted Tarantino the one time he came to set mm-hmm. on all this and it's interesting Tarantino seemed very taken aback by the report in Tony Scott a filmmaker on fire by Larry Taylor we are not we were not first I want to make that very clear. This is from one source. Yes. <laughs> uh, so blame Larry, who's a good writer, and I like him. Yeah, Larry's <laughs> yeah. good. Larry's he good. seems seems to be quite well researched. Um, and Tarantino said, "Hey, can we take this to another room to um, discuss this?" And Denzel Washington said, "Nope, we're doing no. this in public," and dressed him down, basically. Yeah, and, I mean, here's uh, like, yeah, I'm like definitely of the mind of like, if you're gonna be. I'm fine with being, um, you know, provocative or edgy or having, because I like dark, crazy characters too. I, I, you know, the, that's spicy to me. Like, I like that spice. But, you I know, think, he, I think you're walking to, a line and he seems willing to live with it. Yeah. And you have to just be, and if, and if you can take the L, like, if you can take, you, that's that's the price you got to pay. You gotta have it's, a, it's it, gonna be, and there's going to be a lot of heat. Yeah. There'll be a lot of heat can, on you. Yeah, so if he can take, if he can't, and if he can't, and he, and he can take the heat, which is good for him. Yeah, yeah like, yeah, yeah. seems like, like he yeah. can. Um, and of, I guess according to the the book, about seven years later, they finally got together and uh, buried the hatchet, and seem oh. to be fine with each other now. So, well, it's uh, like I, another, it's another like Fincher Cameron situation where I think like at yeah. a certain point you just get so like, and I think, all that, of you I, and so- then obviously like I think like on the surface. The provocative stuff in Tarantino's film could be deeply offensive. Oh, if you're yeah. coming at it from that point of view, and um, you know, I've always been like, you know, I think it was very funny. Like you reviewed, I think we may have even brought this up before, but you read reviews of the Hateful Eight, <laughs> and like, there's nobody likable in this. What the fuck is the title? Yes, like, you know, it's like, they're not the fun eight. They're not the cool yeah, friends. They're not like, like the, the fun, morally decent, social justice warrior eight. You know? They're not the Avengers or whatever yeah, the fuck you want the, them to be. Exactly, they're not the event. They are awful. You yes. awful people. This was an experiment in that. Now yeah. you might not like it because of that, but that's it. That's the way it goes. You don't yeah. have to. And, no. and he, I mean, he was saying that like talking about like the book he's like i hope you read it i hope you enjoy it do i do i think you need to watch any of these movies i don't give a shit if you do like i no. like, like just read the well, book and I, See what I you think feel. He, and i think he like yeah quentin gets the price that he pays for like yeah like people are not gonna like some of his like he's just gonna be an acquired taste because of his like edginess mm-hmm. and i think he's fine with that and i think that that's kind of like an issue with some of the times we live in is that when you Going with the flow, it's it's very interesting on the liberal side of things. Going with the flow is actually like conforming is more popular on the liberal side these days mm-hmm. than the conservative side. 
it. And that didn't used to always be the case, especially when Quentin Tarantino grew up in the sixties mm-hmm. and seventies and what he was watching at that time. And I think, um, yeah, it's just, it is, it's interesting. It, it's a, it's far beyond our goofy podcast to get. Oh yeah. No, details. we're too ding dongs. Don't get any life advice from us. We think smoking is cool. Yeah. We, we, yeah, we'll get into why we think smoking is cool in just a <laughs> moment. Mm. <laughs> it reminds me of that Chapo argument that Felix makes about sodas being awesome. I was like having the soda when we went to the movies yesterday. I was like, sodas are awesome. Look, I, love I love soda. soda. <laughs> hey, look, I, I love soda. I love smoking. It's all they're yeah, fun. I, it's, I do it's... one. <laughs> <laughs> Wink. Although we were joking on my 40th birthday in Vegas. We were like, oh, we're going to Vegas. What kind of problems are you going to solve? And I like tell my friends, I'm like, I know this is going to sound terrible, guys. And don't judge me for this. I really want to smoke a cigarette. That was like my one like transgressive thing that I wanted to do. <laughs> Just smoke one cigarette drunk. <laughs> yeah, you got, dude, there's literally no pleasure. And look, smoking's bad. Don't do it. You know, kids never I smoke. But but, uh, but, uh, but in a movie, if you smoke, are you going to look cool? Probably. Yeah, smoke <laughs> is cool. It looks cool. It looks <laughs> cool. Anyway, uh, I want to get to uh, one last Denzel Washington thing that was interesting that, you know, I read online recently is that um, Denzel Washington has been seen fairly regularly recently hanging out Mm -hmm. with Paul Thomas Anderson, Quentin Tarantino's main competition for greatest director of his generation. Oh, Um, man. And uh, by all counts, they are circling each other for PTA's next movie. Oh, my God. Which, folks... Did you just wet your pants a little bit? Because, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if they make the Equalizer 3, I'll watch it. I don't give a shit. I'm in. I, but it's like, you picture some of those Daniel Day-Lewis sequences from like There Will Be Blood or Phantom Thread, but given to Denzel Washington. It's going to be like, oh, it's going to be good. Because he's like, like make man, it happen. Make it he happen. Hasn't, yeah, he's done like, he's had some like meaty, but he hasn't had that like, and he has the gravitas for it. Well, I mean, he Even... did the Cohen, the Joe Cohen Macbeth, and I think, I think he like as he gets closer to seventy, I think he's like, give him, like I'll take the equalizer, man. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, give me some. I want the meat too, <sighs> man. It's that it's nice, yeah. Because like in a mm-hmm. world where like yeah, other actors of his similar are kind of going well, like you know what, Nicholas Cage is doing the same thing too. Yeah. It's good, yeah. yeah. Let these older actors have their uh, their fancy PTA moments. Yes, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so um, despite that fact, Tarantino's fingerprints, when you watch Crimson Tide, you mm-hmm. can tell the exact scenes he got into the movie. Uh, one of which James Gandolfini is being a bully to new recruits about trivia about 1950s submarine movies, mm-hmm. 40s and 50s submarine movies. You know who wrote that. <laughs> yeah, other, that wasn't that wasn't Michael Schiffer. <laughs> and the other is an utterly key sequence in which Denzel Washington breaks up a fight between Danny Nucci and another um officer. Mm-hmm. And he asks, What were you guys fighting about? And it was a preference between the Jack Kirby Silver Surfer and the Mobius Silver Surfer. Of which Denzel Washington agrees with Danny Nucci that Jack Kirby Silver Surfer is the supreme silver surfer um we'll get yeah. to it in a moment when we start getting into the plot of the movie 
this is a key scene in the overall <laughs> mechanics of <laughs> what happens in this movie is Denzel, Danny Nucci being endeared to Denzel Washington over their shared Silver Surfer, preferred Silver Surfer variation. <laughs> I love, this is like such a, I feel like this is like, it's so cool that like at this time when like that stuff was like 100% not in vogue in any way. That only, like, this... only like nerds like Quentin Tarantino knew about it. Yeah, well, like Silver Surfer at this time was just as esoteric as the the, the previous like Jurgen's conversation. Yeah, like yeah, which is like yeah, the average film goers probably. But like I don't know when I'm a when I was a kid, I like loved because like, like that meant I got to like research what that was and figure out what that was. I don't know. Like I love and it feels real. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's weird and it's like it's silly, if, it, but mm-hmm. it's also like. You know, like I said, I was texting my brother, and like one of the first things he brought up was like, "Yeah, the Silver Surfer bit's kind of funny," and it was like <laughs> everyone remembers the Silver Surfer scene once you it see looks, it in this movie. Well, like, that's the thing is, like Quentin Tarantino is used so uh, effective for the most part. Yeah, like there was the aforementioned scene that we didn't like that much, but like but the... who knows if he wrote? That? I don't. I don't have proof that he even wrote that one. I think the yes, the the two that the Silver Surfer and the submarine movie one. A hundred percent, yeah, hundred well, percent. Well, they, and they and they and when you use like it's like a spice. If you use, mm-hmm. I'm like I love comic. Like if you use comic book shit or esoteric nerd shit like a spice, it pops. It like brings also out, you it can't... adds like character detail and a lightness to a movie that needs a couple moments of levity because this movie gets so damn heavy. You know, yeah, as it like goes on, very close to a post-apocalyptic film at points. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it was it nearly is apocalyptic. Yes. <laughs> if I'm wrong, it's the end of the world. If I'm wrong, yeah. we're at war. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they are the third most important people after all. Yeah. Or equal, or equal level of importance with the president. Of I do America love that the little card at the end of it. It's like, yeah. So the president took control of this because this would have been stupid to let these psychos continue to have any authority here. <laughs> it's just kind of dumb. It's almost <laughs> stunning that no one accidentally did it. Yeah, it is a, with the with crazy... all of the like crazy cold warriors that mm-hmm. were like, and I think that's an element too. As we get into the story of the movie here, is like it's a battle against like Russia after the wall has dropped. But do you think that Gene Hackman doesn't have distinct memories of Russia being the enemy for his entire military career? Uh no. You're yes, right. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. <laughs> like so, and well, and like yeah, like it's it, it, especially like I don't know, I'm like I'm reading like the the Border trilogy right now, like the uh Don Winslow cartel books, and so much of it is also about like Operation Condor and like all the like crazy like you think it's just about all the lunatics in power at the time and oh, how like I mean this goes back to like post ww2 creation of the cia i mean it goes back to like the dulles brothers and all of like their like colonial adventurism yeah well will. and like how they viewed the like it's they viewed the world as like it's either theirs or ours so we better get ours like it's yeah. very like at, at whatever cost and like having that mentality is probably like applying that mentality to a nuclear submarine commander probably not great <laughs> and they don't they only like kind of skim the surface with that i think it's probably like okay that they streamline it but it's hanging there if you know history and if you're aware of like these kind of details it does add an extra cool spice yeah well, you just kind of thinking about it 
Yeah, and you don't need it, like, because here's the thing. I wonder why this movie works so well is it's, like, very, like, it isn't, like, constantly, like, there is, like, esoteric, like, you know, sub-minutia thrown around, but it's not, like, you know, five minutes of expository dialogue about the history of, like, you know, clandestine submarine operations between, uh-huh. like, you know, the USSR and America or whatever. Like, that would just bog down the movie. It goes but also, it's like submarine versus submarine torpedo fights. Yes! Which is also incredibly necessary for a summer blockbuster. <laughs> yeah, like... you need it. Like, you need moments like that. You need, like, you need the grease fire in the kitchen. You need, mm-hmm. like, yeah. Yeah, Which, but it, way, like, yeah. adds, like, smarts to this movie, though, and having these, like, higher level mm-hmm. things o- hanging over it. Yes, no, yeah. And it's, like, yeah. And it's kind of, like, it's perfect. It's, like, there if you want it. And if you just want to turn off your brain and watch a, a submarine blockbuster, it won't hinder you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, I think, you know, What's really interesting that opens with um, I love classic movie trope, learning things from the news <laughs> in movies. Ah <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> so we're aboard a uh, aircraft carrier with a CNN guy who's reporting that post-Soviet Russia civil war has erupted in Chechnya. Military mm-hmm. units, a lot of them, like what did they say, like four hundred thousand soldiers, something like God, that. Yeah, a lot. seemed like it a seems... lot to me. It seemed like a hell of a lot to me. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it seems like, crazy. It's like uh, a map that, like, I don't <laughs> have gone on the side of Vladimir Rochenko, <laughs> Russian <laughs> ultra-nationalist rebel, um, played by Daniel Van Bargen, as mentioned forty-five minutes ago. <laughs> yes. Uh, and basically, they have taken. They are working to take control of a nuclear military installation, mm. and they are trying to get break the codes to be able to take control of nuclear bombs. And they are happy to use them. They are a real threat. Um, couldn't help but get like Ukraine invasion vibes from this opening sequence. Like I was yeah. like, this feels like kind of like uncomfortably itchy, timely. <laughs> uh, yeah, like it's ways. like oh, this might be yeah, this is kind uh, of happening now a little bit. Similar, similar vibes. Yeah. Um, learning about uh, it on the news at his daughter's birthday party is Lieutenant Commander Ron Hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't know how to work a video camera, but that seems to be the only thing he's not good at. Yeah, <laughs> this I mean film. it's not a submarine. He doesn't. Yeah, just, he can't. He can't, uh, take that, he can't transfer that info to his wife's. Else. Like, man, the magician, this creepy magician we hired, is going to do something with our daughter. Where the hell is he? And she turns to his loyal compadre, Lieutenant Peter Ince, otherwise known as Webs, our Webs. beloved Vigo Mortensen, who goes to the kitchen. He's like, man, Frank or Ron, you're missing. Oh shit! The news. <laughs> he gets sucked into the news too. <laughs> He's like, "Oh no!" <laughs> so they're put on um, DefCon three. Mm. I don't understand. I don't. I'm not gonna look it up. I don't. The DefCons. Yeah, there's too many. I don't know. I don't. It seems it's... silly. I mean, it should just be like. It feels like they're like the gradient is very odd. Like, Were DefCons removed when the terror level color scheme in the George W. Bush era? came into play that's we like moved the colors to make it more... easier or harder no that's harder like it's what, harder. what is like which color denotes fear i'm confused like what i don't know Whatever. yeah it's yeah. like red oh, is bad yeah so it's it's i we are on freaking high alert um 
they're going to send out all of the ballistic submarines for preempt to be on patrol to launch a preemptive nuclear strike if Rachenko fuels the nuclear missiles that they have mm. um uh they're that they're getting info on the USS Alabama is one of these submarines. USS Alabama is captained by combat-hardened veteran Captain Frank Ramsey. I love that they preface it like he's one of the only guys who's seen combat. That's you know gives you get an idea like how long he's been around. It's yeah. the same like they do the exact same thing in Top Gun Maverick, talking about Maverick. Like, oh, he's one yeah. of the only guys who's seen combat, so he's got to be good at this. <laughs> like, you know? He's like, yeah, he's the only one who's actually like used the skills he's learned in a yeah. real world scenario. I, yeah, they kind of play with a similar thing in Top Gun Maverick about how it's all this like bureaucracy, just like game theory and stuff like that. Nobody actually has seen like shit play out. Mm-hmm. Is that a good thing that they have not seen shit play out? Probably, but you yeah, know, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it, it, the our Holly weird liberal. Hosts, <laughs> who knows? Your freaking loony liberal hosts. Yeah, so yeah. much for the tolerant um, left. So the ex executive officers, like, kind of like the the impression I get is like kind of second in command, kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Frank Ramsey, played by Gene Hackman, his regular, he's got a tight crew. He's like uh, Neil McCauley in Heat. We got tight crew of guys. Yeah, it is Dude. like such a like a heat or like it almost feels like like it's like the type of it's like Donnie Brasco or something. Yeah, it's like, like a, these are his a, like boys. It's like a crew movie. It is definitely a crew movie, and that like reveals itself. Yeah, surprise! Tom on. Sizemore isn't in it. Really? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's, he should have yeah. been like. Yeah, I don't know. I guess he plays Webs. He would play Webs. Yeah, he'd probably he play Webs, or he'd do the James Gandolfini role. Yeah. 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 You're right. I mean, 95 size was making heat. Yeah. That's so, true. Chilling with Val. Yeah. Chilling with Val. Yeah, Val was over there, yeah. too. <laughs> the heat is the dude. Same, Wait, same, what, what, same five movies and same 10 dudes. <laughs> <laughs> and they wonder why no one feels like they're allowed into Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Gene Hackman's XO, his regular guy who we never meet. We would love to meet him. Maybe that was Tom Sizemore. Um, mm. Has an appendicitis. He can't go on the mission. Mm. So he needs to replace him. Hackman makes it very clear he's very hard on his XOs. And um, But one of the guys up for the job is, of course, Lieutenant Commander Ron Hunter, Denzel Washington. Yeah. He interviews in a rain-soaked sequence. Mm. But, like... Gene Hackman has this like thing he could sense like this guy is good. He might not be my kind of guy necessarily, but I can tell he's like he's got the goods. Like, yeah, he has. The, yeah, he has the energy. Yep. Yeah, and so he gets the job. Webs comes with him. They meet the rest of the team as they're going on board the boat. George Zunza, Matt Craven, James Gandolfini, who we're introduced James Gandolfini on the bus out to the boat, yelling at recruits about obscure movie. Submarine characters. <laughs> yeah. What was Lee Marvin's highest grossing film in 1960? Fuck you. You don't know that. You don't belong in this lock, you idiot. You don't belong in this country's military. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't belong in this. Yeah. You can't. He makes, and he makes this poor, overweight guy um, do push ups. Well, he's like, he's like, because he doesn't like... know about like some submarine movie. 
Well, the thing too is like he's like dissing this guy about his weight, and like James, call him the you know it's like the pot calling the kettle black. Like, look, yeah, we, James, come yeah on. James Gandolfini is not Chris Hemsworth. Yes, <laughs> like you, know? you, you're you're like me. You you and me, we go up the thief of Hearts Hill. We're dead. <laughs> we can't. <laughs> That's actually. I, a, can't, I can't. I can't picture um, Quentin Tarantino making his coworkers at video archives in like 1985 do push-ups because they don't know something. <laughs> he can't, like, you can't name seven Sunny Chiba films. Wrong. The dirt. Wrong. It's Max Julian and the Mac. Give me twenty. <laughs> I said William Smith, not Will Smith. Yeah. Out. We're talking about Big Bill Smith. <laughs> the movie's darker than Amber. Give me thirty. <laughs> anyway, um, so we get on the boat and the mechanics. So we are me like Tony Scott's direction of this hothouse submarine with all these dudes is just nonstop. He finds angle upon angle upon angle. We got to give a big shout out to cinematographer Darius Wolski. First time out with uh, Tony Scott. Um, he ended up doing, um, I believe just one moment here, the fan as well, which we'll be covering Ooh. soon, but probably more noteworthy. He has become Ridley Scott's go-to guy. Yeah. He did like the cinematography for Prometheus. I remember. Yeah. And he's basically done it. I believe almost every, if not every Ridley Scott movie since Prometheus. Really? Up, up to, Napole- up to the um, forthcoming Napoleon. Oh, hell yeah. So, and uh, he shared a very funny story that apparently right around this time um, they had, launched a smoking ban on set mm-hmm. and um tony scott if you look at any set photo of tony scott that you find online uh he has he is chomping a stogie non-stop oh, and he has to have a cigar uh so tony scott said i got around it i hired an extra fire marshal to monitor this i'm i'm completely seemingly unaware that the smoking ban was more than likely, if not totally like not like totally not installed due to fire hazards. No, <laughs> the smoking ban was installed because it was an unhealth. It created an unhealthy environment in highly unventilated places like submarines. <laughs> yeah, that's not a good place to smoke. Yeah, because look, like I said, we think it's smoking cool. Yes, so we think it's awesome and yes. rad. A hundred percent, totally so, tubular. And Wolski was like. I was a heavy smoker at the time and I would just stand behind Tony because he'd get in trouble for it, but I'd be in the cloud of smoke, so I'd be able to have a cigarette. Damn. It's like... like, Yeah, yeah. so like, throughout this entire movie, Gene Hackman is like, smoking a cigar in almost every single scene in the movie, inside Mm -hmm. the sub. Uh, Steve Zahn's character is a heavy smoker and probably most noteworthy of all, Vigo, the most nervous man alive, Vigo Mortensen, yeah. is chain smoking throughout the entire movie. It's like his big character trait is that he's a smoker. And I, you gotta say, like, man, how are they getting, how, what are they, how are they dealing? There's gotta be some sort of filtration thing. Yeah, or like, and you're like always like, I feel like I'm nervous that like they're gonna drop that like cigarette in the wrong place and cause like a fire. I mean, I, yeah, well, it's all filtered. It's like, so, I, it feels like to me, it's like nobody's letting them smoke on a spaceship. 
No. Yeah, I mean, like, what's you the difference? So much air. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> what's the difference? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like that might be like, well, you know, if you went on IMDb and looked at the bloopers, that might be like blooper one. Like, I mean, smoking like, isn't allowed in a submarine. You would see it like, like if you watch Apollo thirteen, like Bill Paxton's character definitely would have been smoking the entire way through if oh, yeah. if smoking was allowed on a spaceship. I, I mean, that's like every Bill Paxton character, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Our king. Uh, our king. Yeah, um, so for sure. So slowly but surely, like tensions rise between Hunter and Ramsey as they reveal their mm-hmm. perspectives on what's happening here. And I get this feeling too, Ramsey wants some action, but he also knows the book, but he really does want action. Like mm-hmm. the heat the heat is the juice. <laughs> the action yes. is the juice. The action is, I keep saying the heat is the juice too. Yeah, but the, the action act- is the juice. The juice. Um, and whereas Hunter is kind of a more modern military man who's a thinker. He's trying to he wants he wants the facts. He wants details. It's like a money ball situation. I feel he's a good hitter versus no, I have numbers that show if he's yes. a bad hitter. You know? <laughs> yeah. And you then build- they get word Rachenko is getting closer. Ooh. Oh, and they got this great little buzzer thing, EAM, emergency action message. A lot of great um, like, abbreviations. Uh, yeah, in this film. the acronyms are the hot acronyms. and heavy in this mm. movie. <laughs> it is good. Weps. Yeah. Cobb. Yeah. We love yeah. it. Yeah. And we. And one of the brilliant things about the movie is we are not overwhelmed by it. They let us. They kind of lay it out nicely, so we know. We kind of get it. We get. We don't. We get what it all means. Mm-hmm. Um. But Hunter is also like shows he's kind of a guy amongst the crew. He works out with the crew. He puts out a fire in the galley. Um, and most importantly, he breaks up this fight with Petty Officer Danny Ruffetti, where they have this Silver Surfer conversation. Mm. We'll get to why that's important in a bit. So, simultaneously, they're getting emergency action messages. They come across an Akula class submarine. I love that. Oh, all the words are so much fun. <laughs> like, yeah. And the Akula, that sounds immediately sounds scary and cool. It's like smoking. Yeah. Another great word. <laughs> yeah. And they're out and they're in combat, basically trying to evade this Akula class submarine. Cuts off. They get kind of hit. Cuts off the radio signal. They get an emergency action message about what the latest Rachenko is up to. The message cuts off halfway through. Mm-hmm. This is absolutely the linchpin for the rest of the movie. <laughs> so they get the message. Ramsey believes it is a they are fueling. It is time to fire. Mm-hmm. That's what he believes the rest of the message reads. Hunter believes that the message could possibly say that, or it could possibly say the rebels have been stopped. Mm-hmm. We need to hold. This is the entire conflict of the movie. <laughs> they start <laughs> screaming at each other. It's everything comes to a head. It's an amazing scene of these two like powerhouse actors going crazy on each other. Mm-hmm. Hunter takes over the boat he relieves ramsey of duty it's wild ramsey gets taken away because cobb ramsey's like number one guy bob 
I remember from the first Batman movie. Bob. Bob. Bob, my number one guy. <laughs> well, it's like it's another situation where like Jack Nicholson could have all... played Ramsey too. Oh fuck yeah, yeah he yeah. would have crushed it. Yeah, that would have yeah. yeah, not even yeah, yeah. yeah not even close. He would have been not even close. He would have been incredible. Uh, hell, have him play as the Joker, but uh, yeah. So he gets taken away. This great scene where like Denzel thanks Cobb for sticking up for him, and Cobb's like, "I did this by the book. Well, yeah, you were doing exactly. this by the book. You don't think I like? You think I like doing that? I love that man. He's a great man. Like, and it's so good. It gives yeah. Cobb an extra level." Yes. Well, that's also like another thing about how everyone interprets. It's all about how everyone interprets these rules. Yeah, which they state at the top of the movie, they should not be interpretive. It should no. have one like it should be clear what all of this is. But every single person on the boat from the lowest guy to Ramsey kind of sees it differently. It's all yes. point of view, which they is have different so takes. fascinating because that's true. Yeah, that's life. You that's can't, life. Like, yeah, you can't like everyone has this unique mind, and they're going to interpret these, you know, seemingly stringent laws differently. Yeah, and that's why there's no like, like people like morality is the, like up to the eye of the beholder on what morality is, and that's what yeah. they're dealing with this in this movie, which you do not expect from a summer blockbuster. The poster literally says, "Summer starts May 12th. Yeah, Which this is, is great, great, awesome. Like, I see that in a movie theater. I'm like, hell yeah, I'm so excited for summer. <laughs> like, yeah, I associate yeah. this with water slides and slurpees. Yeah, good times, man. My mom's going to draw me off this movie and I'm going to have a blast. <laughs> it's like in The Simpsons when all the kids are like, Barton Fink, Barton. They're all going to see Barton Fink because they think it's like a cool R-rated yeah. movie or whatever. Just Crimson Tide. <laughs> so... But they get nary a moment to celebrate because the Russian sub attacks again. Mm -hmm. And Denzel gets to show how ratty is in action, like firing off instructions to everybody. Turn left, turn right. It's all in jargon, though, that I don't remember. It's great. Yeah. But damage is caused. And they and this is another this scene's great because it shows bravery and it also shows Denzel Washington's ready to make the tough choices mm -hmm. because there's a flood in this lower deck and Steve's on and his team are down there and they have like two seconds to shut this, this, um, what is it called? Portal? Um, yeah, porthole, porthole type yeah. thing. Yeah. And Ricky Schroeder's up above and he's in charge of that. He's screaming down. He's like, Barnes, Barnes. <laughs> and Barnes isn't listening. Cause Steve's on so involved in trying to get this thing shut. Water is rising. We know that if the water rises too high, they, the entire team is effed. Yep. And then this like like thing bursts. Steve Zahn takes it right in the dome. Yeah, he blood. goes under. Like oh, blood! It's like, and Ricky Schroeder's crying. And then Denzel's like, "Shut that! Shut that porthole!" He's making <sighs> hard choices. He's willing to sacrifice Steve Zahn and his team for the for the greater thing. Which say what you will. Like we're we're talking in the context of the movie, not our own personal opinions here. Yeah. And Denzel Washington's character within the context of this to get respect among the crew needs to do that. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> well, it's like, this is how you know, like, this is like how this life is why messy. Not, this is why we are not submarine boys. 
We did oh, not sign oh, up yeah. for any of this. No. So we won't sign up for any of this. Yeah, well, yeah, no, we let we let Steve's out. We let them keep the thing open, and then everyone dies. That's we, what we, we do. We told Steve Zahn <laughs> when we were out at the bar with him the night before he went to the recruiting office, don't join the military. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's that's more Patrick and Don's side of the story. Yeah, come on, man. Just uh, start a podcast. Yeah, yeah, start a podcast. Talk about <laughs> movies. <laughs> that's the antithesis of joining the military. That's the antithesis of joining the military. Start a podcast. It kind of is. Um, <laughs> he makes tough Although choices. just as important. But then, because the, the propeller on the boat, they've lost power. Mm-hmm. And the boat starts sinking, and we get this great tense scene where they they tell us exactly how low the boat can go when everything kind of the pressure explodes and they're all dead. And it's sinking, sinking. Cobb is announcing mm-hmm. the levels we're going to. Everyone's sweating their ass off. Are they going to get the damn thing started again? Mm-hmm. They do. It's going back up. Then they get in a dogfight and they blow up the Russian submarine. Everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then they cut to James Gandolfini with a sneer on his face. What? Mm. Gandolfini recruits Matt Craven and Rocky Carroll. They break into Gene Hackman's office and they're like, what he did was what Denzel did was wrong. We're going to get you back. That was mutinous. You're our captain. It's it's so there's crazy. a lot of I'm the captain now moments in this oh, yeah. movie. Move over, Barkad Abdi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, and, yeah, it's it, just so, I think you said this earlier. It's so unexpected that Matt Craven's the one that like switches over, and they all switch over, and then they go visit Gene Hackman. This script, man, firing in all cylinders. Hackman's mm-hmm. like, this is great. I agree with you guys. We are going to retake the vote. We need some guns to do it. What? Guess who's in charge of the guns? Webs, who Ooh. we know was at Denzel's daughter's birthday party. They're friends. They're good friends. What side is Vigo gonna land on here? Ooh. He's like, this won't work without Webs. <laughs> oh my god, what a conundrum! <laughs> it's so good. They go down to Webs. They get in his face. Really kind of bully him. Scary. I I I think I would have broke. Like yeah. too. I think I don't think I'm like under like Webs is just like sweaty and smoking and like losing hair of like visually, it seems like yeah. he's just so stressed he out. He does not like, look oh. well. He does not look well. And they put him in like the least ventilated room, it seems, on the boat. Yeah, he's looking he's looking like his character in Green Book after he ate fifty hot dogs. <laughs> yeah, it's like is this a heart attack or is it indigestion? <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> yeah. Is this the last time I'll ever reach my for my tums? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but he goes along with it, and he's not happy about it. But he goes along with it. So mm. then they storm the the command the the main room on the sub, mm. and they retake the control room. Hunter Cobb and a few other officers are sent to the mess hall, locked up. But in a key moment, Hunter. Pulls aside sonar supervisor Danny Rivetti and gives him the keys to the boat. Yes, this is little. And kind of has a chat with him. And we're like, oh, wait, Hunter kind of gets a vibe. This whole thing is going to go down. Luckily, he has a buddy for life due to shared Silver Surfer fandom in Rivetti. Their love of Jack Kirby. Yeah, who is up for it. So Rivetti recruits a bunch of guys. 
and they break Hunter and his guys out. And they get guns. Yes. Like, where is this going? Oh my god. There's like two now there's like two armed factions. Armed, like true believer factions on this nuclear submarine. And dude, is this good? Yeah, this yes! is great. Yeah, like entertainment wise, this is phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. It's so like you get yeah, at this moment you do kind of get why the army was so like not interested or the navy was not interested in doing this because like yeah so like all that... of these guys are on complete hair trigger it's a bunch of dudes in a tube underwater what do you think is going to happen they're all oh, on edge it's a powder keg <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's yeah it's like i love a movie which you get this powder keg situation and then mm. they're like we just got to break into the gun arsenal. It's like, oh, yeah, that raises the damn stakes. Yeah, that'll, yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> and I think it's like, I, I do think the Silver Surfer thing is the flimsiest thing in the world that, in the movie, in the world of this movie, that Rivetti would go along with this very, very dangerous mutinous scheme over shared Silver Surfer fandom. That is like a funny, like that is like something that you would expect more in like a Kevin Smith movie than a yeah. <laughs> and it's a little nitpicky because I don't think actually like we're going after ventilation on this submarine. We're going after this Silver Surfer thing. Like most of this movie is that tight that there aren't these bigger issues. Yeah, to well, like I mean, attack in the movie or like question. In a, in a weird way, I kind of like it. There's something about like. It's fun. It's it, well, it's human, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's also like you know, it's like okay, this guy has. It's kind of like that thing where like this guy has good tastes. I trust this guy. Like you know, we both enjoy this this X thing. We're probably on the same. It's and like, like him taking that, a, a real and risk. I think, like also too, when the fire breaks out in the galley, Denzel Washington like throws on fire gear to go down and fight fire with the boys. Like yeah, that was good. Like he it like. And I think that's important that he's not some like techno bureaucrat, that he is one of the guys. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't like quarantine himself from the team. Necessarily. Yeah, that, that is like the big, like one of the big differences, I think, between Gene Hackman's case. I feel like Gene Hackman's character does feel a little above it. That's why well, that's why because he's that's like... why because he talks about the um hierarchy. Yeah. And that's why like he's like after the fire in the galley, he's like, we're immediately doing a test. As someone's dying, you know, he needs to show his authority. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it's also like, yeah, and he feels like he's earned it too. Like he's like yeah. he's fought, and like yeah, he's like the one person who's like because if anyone has, on the ship is because he has earned it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. He he got his lumps. It's like we were saying about James Cameron. It's like, well, look at all my billion dollar movies. I have earned it. Yes. You know, <laughs> exactly. That's why. Yeah, that's why I can spend like five hundred million, half a billion dollars making Avatar two. And do crazy things like when someone's phone rings, take a nail gun and nail it to the wall. Oh my god, that is so crazy! That is yeah. like <laughs> crazy. When what, yes. what, I'm wondering, like I've been on a few movie sets. Um, nail gun just laying around. Yeah, that's like a, yeah, that's a dangerous <laughs> weapon. Yeah, where's just James Cameron make sure that's part of his camera package. <laughs> yeah. You gotta have, like, yeah, you know, M&M's, yeah, no green all M&M's. The, all the short films I've directed, all the things I've done, PA work or whatever on, um, mm-hmm. I've never needed a nail gun. Never yeah. once. Never once, you know, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, I I was a PA on an episode of uh, Bosch, and they did have a nail gun. That was, yeah, that was, 
Actually, it was the episode James Cameron was directing. <laughs> James Cameron did a botch. <laughs> yeah, he did a botch. It was a $100 million no, episode. It's not, a, it's not out. It's also not out yet. He's still tinkering with it. Yeah, botch yeah. The series botch is over, but bot, that episode of botch has not aired. <laughs> yeah, this episode from season three where botch goes to Atlantis. <laughs> it's it's predicted 2032 It's going to come out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's we playing made, a CG. We made... We made Bosch learn how to hold his breath underwater for 17 minutes. <laughs> yeah, we've we've did we've uh, we've surgically inserted gills into Titus Welliver's neck. Yeah. He was up for it. He thought it was cool. Yeah, yeah, so, no, he's merman now. So then they like right before they're about. So it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So simultaneously, they are ready to launch. Gene Hackman has put the key into the ignition, but they need the other key. Guess who has the other key? Webs. Mm. Vigo. Oh. Mm-hmm. And Vigo is losing weight by the second with how much he's how nervous he is. Yeah, his <laughs> like he is dehydrated. He yeah. Is and like and he's sitting there smoking and he's getting the call, like, do it, do it. And like even the young guys on his team, I love the young guys that are on Vigo's team because they're not pushing him, but they're like, uh sir. <laughs> are, are we gonna do this uh-huh. they're scared too everyone's so fucking scared it's great yeah <laughs> well everyone's just so out of there like it's like all these people that have been like n- have it never really done feels, like real combat yeah, so real like yes. we're trained either there's gonna be like gung-ho guys who are like gonna go too far or there mm. are totally gun shy guys and yep. there's no real middle ground except for denzel washington Basically, yep. <laughs> exactly. He, yeah, he's the only, yeah, somehow he's the only he... level-headed man in the entire sub, which is not good, but it feels very real. Sadly, yeah, don't do, yeah. don't do war, don't do war. All of this stuff should be abolished <laughs> at the end of the day. Yeah, so 100%. Vigo's not doing it. So Gene Hackman's like, no, no, let no one touch that key. He storms <laughs> down there to the wherever the the hole they put Vigo Mortensen in. Simultaneously, Denzel Cobb. His team are about to storm the thing. Denzel mm. easily gets Matt Craven to budge and takes the key, <laughs> like <laughs> puts it around his neck. It's badass. Yeah, but we can maybe get to my favorite, most insane scene in the movie here. Gene Hackman gets to Vigo's level. Vigo won't do it. He and he's the only one who knows how to open the safe that has this key. Mm-hmm. I love all these details too. That Vigo's the only one who knows how to open the safe. A lot of cool yeah. safe close-ups. Well, yeah, and a lot of good like fun fail safes where like yeah, there's hoops that you have to jump through to achieve. I know. All these I things. love all the breaking of the keys to get the alpha yes. codes and stuff. Like yeah, all yeah, the details yeah. are awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it's so crazy. <laughs> it's so good, and he won't do it. Gene Hackman takes out his side piece or sidearm and. Side piece is a sexual thing. <laughs> Side arm yeah. is a gun. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the. I'm trying to think of a pornographic title for Crimson Tide. Can't think of one. Uh, oh well, we go, never mind. I don't even want to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> dark, dark comedy. That's why I'm a Tarantino fan. <laughs> uh, Gene Hackman puts a gun to the back of Vigo Mortensen's head, and Vigo, because this movie's so fucking smart goes well if you shoot me i'm the only one who knows how to get into this thing yeah so gene hackman grabs one of the poor scrubs that's working with me going but if i shoot this guy man it doesn't a problem and it's like oh my god 
Well, that's like the moment where like you realize he's like crossed but a lot. He well, realizes it too. Yeah. Which is so good. Yeah. He realizes it. Because he does yeah. a countdown, and he gets one, two, or two, three, two. And then you see the look on Hackman's face go, What am I doing? Yeah, this is <laughs> Am I the baddie? Like it's a very Yeah, yeah like, it's like am I the baddie? Yeah. yeah. 100%. <laughs> it is just like a, yeah, yeah, he, it dawns on him that like yeah, maybe like holding an innocent uh, stooge hostage. It's so great. Cuz you don't see that in movies. No. In like in especially movies like this. Like mm-hmm. action or big sci-fi movies or whatever. Like it takes this movie to a higher level. Mm-hmm. In having these moments, and well, it's all it demonstrates... so thought about, so well performed. What were you? I'm sorry. What were you going to say? No. Well, and it just demonstrates how like high the stakes are as well. Because like, yeah. yeah, they're dealing with potentially hundreds of millions of deaths. The start of nuclear war. In Gene yeah. Hackman's head, he's very able. He's very easily able to justify at least but he, initially. But he's a smart man. He's not, like a dope. No. But... You know, he's an he's an educated guy who knows war military history. He knows the stakes mm-hmm. that they're playing with. It's just he chooses to believe things in this certain way. Yeah, and based on his experience in his life, he's cynical. Mm-hmm. But then he discovers that Hunter has retaken the control room of the boat, <laughs> and we lead to. Man, if you thought this movie couldn't, like, his team goes back. Mm. Guns are pulled. We got a full-scale standoff on all sides. <laughs> Hackman gets right. Scott shoots in these awesome, like, Dutch angle close-ups on both so sides. So many Dutch angles. Yeah. So many. You love it, folks. Yo, you love to see it. You love it's, to see it. Hackman is at his most Hackman. Denzel is at his most Denzel in these like scenes. Like, it is like so true. They're like peak. They're like it's like the thing. essence of each of these actors. Like just the Hackman boiled like, down to the purest spit venom, like pissed yeah. off. And Denzel is all like moral fortitude. Yeah, just taciturn moral fiber. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just like un unbendable. Yeah, Hackman starts. Punching him in the face to get yeah. the key back. Denzel like, turns back. He's got blood coming out of his face. He's like not backing down. Meanwhile, back to our Lilo Brigado Jr. as Petty Officer Third Class Russell Vossler, radio operator. He's working <laughs> his ass off. We were like, and Denzel gave him this great speech. What was the? What was the? Oh, it was the Star Trek thing, which. Tarantino definitely yeah. wrote too. Oh, 100 percent. That's another definitely another Tarantino. That uh, Scotty. You're Scotty to my Captain mm. Kirk. And like Denzel's like, it's Captain Kirk, Scotty, you got it. Like they're doing this whole thing. He's sweating his ass off. Oh yeah, he took a bump on the head too. <laughs> so yeah. He like, busted open as well. It's not doing the good. The radio starts to work. They, they've got like three minutes until the Russian, like in theory, the Russian nukes have been fueled. Hackman goes, you have two minutes. They sit down this calm before the storm have this face off where they do this metaphor about horses and this kind of brings up like Hackman brings up horses being born certain colors yeah and it's a little it's a little weird. Oh, he didn't need to be racist too no I think it's like it's like I think he's like doing it to be an asshole too I don't know yeah. it's very weird it's 
Because that's how Washington mentioned earlier that his hobby is to ride horses, which I love mm. that Hackman asked him what his like personal life hobbies are in the like, interrogation <laughs> earlier. I think that was really like cool. I well, like I also that. like that esoteric, like it's such a weird specific to have for yeah. his character. Like he's a horse rider, which is like, yeah, I that barely. I just think James Gray said in a great interview on the Big Picture podcast that I, that came out a couple weeks ago that I really recommend if you haven't seen armageddon time you should on top yeah, of that great. but um james gray was talking about like the difference between every movies and like every other form of storytelling mm-hmm. a visual storytelling especially like internet visual storytelling is details and the more details you can fire into a movie the more touches like he was talking about the wallpaper of the family house in armageddon time oh yeah but it's these character touches it's these little details it's these small things Mm-hmm. that built up if you really are thinking about them and the best movies are really thinking about every one of these elements and then they're well cast and well written on top of that but right it's these little details like denzel endears himself to these young kids in this movie with pop cultural references mm-hmm. his character like why did like of all things he's into horses but that turns into like this weird like macho combat like, how much do you really know about horses kind of moment with him and Hackman? Mm-hmm. They're facing off. They get the radio working. And um, I love this part. They get the message. They have to go through the entire vetting process. And it's like a reality show. <laughs> like, I choose you or something like that. Like a dating show or something. <laughs> like they're cutting to Craven. Like, we know Craven has read the note. We know... Um, Carol Rocky has read Carol. the note. Yeah. We know they've all read the note, but they have to like vet it and say it out loud. <sighs> so they're hiding their emotions on like the results here because it's basically like it's a reality show. It's like Survivor. Who's gonna yeah. win? Gene Hackman or Denzel Washington? It's Mari Povich. And am I have a new father? <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, it's great. Am I gonna be dancing at the end of this? <laughs> so they are um, facing off. They're going through the entire vetting process. They're breaking keys. They're reading Alpha Tango. They find out. Mm. Radchenko has been disarmed. There's no <laughs> nuclear threat at all. And if they had fired, they would have started World War Three and a nuclear holocaust. Yeah, oopsie. <laughs> oh, no. Gene Hackman stands up and just walks away. Yep, he's like, egg is on my face. Yep, yeah. He doesn't try and, you know... We live in an era in which no one can be wrong. Yep. And they will continue to be defiant. This is the trait of Donald Trump that has (laughs) trickled down to everyone. And to see someone strong accept defeat and accept a mistake... It's quite a powerful thing to see. <laughs> it is nice, yeah, because like even before Trump, this is like, yeah, it's like David yeah, Brum and Don and Cheney, Dick Cheney. Like they're never yeah. gonna admit that like they were like wrong about anything they ever did. So like it's... Oh yeah, and you're right, you're right. It started with the Iraq war and W oh, era. Hugely, yeah, but yeah, and you know, there's definitely probably examples before that and blah blah yeah. blah blah. But like uh but uh yeah, no, it is refreshing to see like Gene Hackman take the L. Like yeah. <laughs> it's great. And this leads to, and 
what I also love about this sequence is the entire everyone on board, like all the lower officers, go absolutely nuts in joy when they find out nobody wanted to do it. Yeah, World War Three would be pretty bad. Yeah, World War Three <laughs> be bad. We cut to a kind of a CODA a military tribunal led by Jason Robards, who um, reveals that both men were right and both men were wrong, mm. which is oh, awesome. What a way to end the movie. Yes. <laughs> and um, Gene Hackman accepts retirement and actively suggests Denzel Washington should captain a ship. Nice. And goes to show game recognizes game even in defeat. Yep. You're the man now, Doug. You're the man now, dog. And uh, Gene Hackman lets him know that he was right about where those horses came from. They <laughs> smile, and Gene walks away with his Jack Russell Terrier. Yeah. That we should, know, we, you know, we should mention was pissing all over the ship. I hate, dude, it's like... Because it crossed like... my mind. He's like, he's like, goes with me everywhere. And I was like, <laughs> dog shit's on the boat. Or put that shit. Such <laughs> <laughs> a like, sad nowhere. Look at this Queen of Versailles moment where it's just like people. You know, people are just well, avoiding. Like my own, in my own neighborhood in Los Feliz, people would um, everyone had a dog, and yeah. they would pick up the poop and put it in the poop bag, mm-hmm. but then they'd like leave the poop bag on like top of a mailbox or something like that. They wouldn't that's... actually just. And that's why I keep thinking this in this sub. It's just like poop bags, like <laughs> like all over the place. <laughs> that's demonic. That's all. That's almost no. worse than like. Leave I think it. that's just leave than it. leaving it. Yeah, at that point, yeah. let the rain wash it away. Whatever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> why? What do you? It's so half-assed, man. So you no. picked it up and you just left it somewhere. Yeah, you you go through the effort of picking it up and then you leave it on someone. That's like evil. Yeah. Demonic. Lamb. Lamb. Yeah. Oh, man. Bad, bad dog owners. <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah. Them. Close out, cut to credits. Oh, we get a coda on the credits with a card that says um, submarine captains are no longer in charge of these sorts of decisions. It is up to the president only. Um, you? Yeah. So it's like Wipe uh, the brow. Uh, Vigo Mortensen certainly is relieved by that. But at the same time, if Trump's the president, then, yeah. you know, oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. I mean, shit, even Biden a little bit. It's like, eh, well, yeah. I mean, I get... Still don't. Yeah, it doesn't give you in our modern era of presidency. It doesn't give you a lot of confidence. Yeah. Anyway, uh, movie opened. Uh, Mm -hmm. Hollywood Pictures released it. Mm -hmm. It was the, um, what the first or um, pardon me. I believe it was the second of the 1990. Shoot, I'm sorry, folks. My, I'm second guessing everything. Ah, no worries. (laughs) My, um, it was the second of the um, 1995 releases for Simpson and Bruckheimer. Bad Boys had come out earlier in the year and been a surprise sensation. That one had come out in April of 95. Mm. Uh, Crimson Tide released in May of 1995. Uh, the box office for the picture, op- it earned $18.6 million in its opening weekend. Number one at the wow. box office, $91 million total in the United States, additional 65 or 66 million international for a 157.3 million total. A hit. Also, a 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. Consensus mm. reads boasting taut 
high energy thrills and some crackling dialogue courtesy of an uncredited Quentin Tarantino. Crimson Tide finds director Tony Scott near the top of his action game. Uh, Cinema score, which is the audience poll. Audience gave it an A. Yeah. On their way out of the picture. Ebert gave it three and a half stars out of four. He said, this is the rare kind of war movie that not only thrills people while they're watching it, but invites them to leave the theater actually discussing the issues. Correct. Yeah. Um, Mick LaSalle of the San Francisco Chronicle wrote, Crimson Tide is everything you could want from an action thriller and a few other things you usually can't hope to expect. Uh, And Owen Gleiberman of Entertainment Weekly wrote, what makes Crimson Tide a riveting pop drama is the way the conflict comes to the fore in the battle between two men. The end of the world may be around the corner, but holds us in the set. Holds us. Holds us is the sight of two superlatively fierce actors working at the top of their game. Uh, Crimson Tide was nominated for three Academy Awards. Oh. Best film editing, which uh, we have to give credit there to. Um, Chris Lebanon who um, not only he nominated, he uh, edited Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Revenge. He's Days been around. Of, Days of Thunder. Con- uh, and soon enough in the in our universe, Con Air, Armageddon, Enemy of the State, Gone in 60 Seconds, Pearl Harbor. Um, action editor Supreme, he also up to this very year, he co-edited Top Gun Maverick. God damn. <laughs> so, he's like, yeah, he's one of those guys that like, I feel like there's like 10 editors that do everything and he's one he's of them. Excellent, ac- excellent, like action adventure editor. Um, mm-hmm. It was also nominated for um, best sound and sound editing. Mm. The, um, <laughs> should be noted... Uh, Robert Mueller, in his years as FBI director, often quoted Captain Ramsey in his lead in his meetings with senior leadership of the FBI, saying, "We're here to preserve democracy, not practice it." I guess I'm glad he's not quoting the horse lines. You know, maybe, maybe popular culture is a little more important to the grand scheme of things that we'd like to believe in. Silver yeah. Surfer could save the world. Honestly, yeah. Or ruin, the, mean, or ruin the world. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is one of those things where, like, yeah, like... Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, yeah I don't know. <laughs> finally note, uh, Hans Zimmer was back behind the keys for the score on this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie has an extremely mid-90s Hans Zimmer score that he kind of defined with this movie i think and will carry over to many other movies we watch in this series <laughs> like it's that synthy dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Know, it's kinda... it has like that like synthy like it almost sounds like the synthy peruvian pipe flute flourish like you see yeah. in many, many of these movies yeah <laughs> yeah it's he really like got the act the simpson bruckheimer scott bay action sound mm-hmm. down here because it really remind me of the rock score Oh yeah, you know, he, almost... he, like they seemed almost like they could have just been interchangeable. Yeah, I would say that's like the weirdly the. I mean, it's like it it gets the job done. It's good when it needs to be good. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, it's like very yeah, it's very meat and potatoes and of its yeah. time. Yeah, but um, yeah, uh, success for everyone involved. Yes. Um, 
Tony Scott back with a number one hit. Simpson and Bruckheimer after a few years off after Days of Thunder. Uh, and they they produced one movie called The Ref with Dennis Leary, which is actually a, kind of an interesting black comedy, but not mm-hmm. really like what you'd expect from them. Uh, right. But with this and Bad Boys in 1995, they are back in complete control of their of their game. Uh, one thing, though, about Bad Boys in this one, you can already see the waning influence of Don Simpson. The mm-hmm. daddy issues, the attempts at sentimentality, the attempts at like romance even, mm-hmm. are out the door for just pure high octane masculine intensity. Yeah. <laughs> and which I think is more of Gary Bruckheimer, who's like less of a sentimentalist than mm. um, Don Simpson was. Don yeah, Simpson was fair. the, despite his terrible personal life, was the romantic. Of the two, yeah, his, his, yeah, his, like, you know, his cocaine. He's the cocaine-addled heart of the of the bunch who desperately wanted love and connection, but had no idea how to deal with it. And Jerry Bruckheimer was more of a meat and potatoes, let's get the job done yeah. kind of thing. He wasn't the story guy; he was the um, executor. He executed these things, mm-hmm. and with Bad Boys and Crimson Tide, you can feel like. Oh, he's in complete control because he's executing these movies perfectly for what yes. they need to be, for what they need to be. Like you can, there's a broader question of like, despite the fact this is not as overtly raw, raw militaristic as Top Gun, mm-hmm. it's still like no one's questioning the military, in, military intervention in this movie. No, everyone's still pretty into it. Even Denzel yes. Washington's character is into it. And that's just going to be... I mean, that that goes to Top Gun Maverick to this day. That's part of the kind of right-wing mm-hmm. style of Jerry Bruckheimer. You know, Jerry Bruckheimer is a Republican. And that's... I think he's an old-school Republican. I don't think he's like a Trumpy Republican. I think he's more of the you know, Reagan... Bush type Republican. Yeah, it's like a poppy style Republican. <laughs> oh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, there's broader questions there, but overall, this is like a taut top of the line, as good as they get action movie of its era. Oh, yeah. And supremely well directed, super fun. I've seen it a bunch of times and I still Patrick. I was like, following Vigo, I was like on the edge of my seat. Yeah, it was my first, and I'm like, yeah, I'll watch this again. This is yeah. a great, like, this is a good, this is like the type of movie where, like, if it's on cable and you have cable, you're going to sit down and watch it. Yeah, it's a movie yeah. rules. It's great. Yeah. It's it's an absolutely terrific movie. I was so happy, and I enjoyed every second of it. You know, what a week. We we could not recommend it higher. It's on, um, like we said, it's streaming. Paramount Plus, Epics, Amazon, one of those things. It's there. Um, it's also on Disney Plus, by all accounts. And um, uh, it's also on Blu-ray. And I, I can't believe I don't own it. I'm kind of surprised by that. Oh, remedy. man, you got to rectify that, brother. I might have to remedy that one, dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was Crimson Tide. Man, super, super, super duper fun movie. Next week on the show. We return to the world, kind of go back in time and then forward in time with our part two of our sub-series, mm. A Visionary Alliance, Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer. 
This is the and we're discussing their other two films from 1995, Bad Boys and Dangerous Minds. I'm really looking forward to this. I've never seen Dangerous Minds. I am so aware of Dangerous Minds. Dangerous Minds was talked about at school. It has a soundtrack, a classic soundtrack, headlined by the late great Coolio's Gangster's Paradise. Oh shit. Uh Bad Boys has a like a classic soundtrack from my middle school era too. Uh but I saw Bad Boys in the theater at a birthday mm-hmm. party. Oh, and I could oh I'm telling now. It's on my mind. So mm-hmm. we saw Bad Boys at a birthday party. I may have told this story years ago on the podcast, but we'll tell it again. So Bad Boys at uh, the Mount Lake Terrace Theater up in the mm-hmm. Northwest. Birthday party. We were all jazzed. We had seen the trailer. It looked awesome. Yeah. But I was also a burgeoning young cinephile. Mm-hmm. And a film entitled The Usual Suspects had come out at a very similar time. Oh, wait, no. Totally wrong about this. Oh my god, stupid! I'll tell the story anyway. It wasn't Bad Boys. It was Mortal Kombat. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I and I it. wanted to see the Usual Suspects. I did not want to see Mortal Kombat. I oh. actually wanted to see Usual Suspects. I wanted to see Bad Boys. Don't don't get me wrong. I absolutely wanted to. My friends' parents saw the Usual Suspects while we were all at Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. They get in the car. And they're like, can you believe Kevin Spacey was Kaiser Soze? And I was like, motherfuckers. <laughs> no. Innocence lost. Innocence this lost. Is, this is like spoiler you alert a... of spoiler alert of the highest order. This is like in the movie in the, the 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 growing, you know, the the movie, like the you know, the white squalls or the wanders yeah. when like the the kid finds out JFK's been shot. Yeah, this yeah. was your this is your you become yeah. a man they today. I just couldn't believe it, man. My world changed. I was so pissed. <laughs> but I we saw bad boys. Um I had a bad boys poster in my bedroom. Ooh, that's pretty good. Yeah, so we'll get into all that. We'll get into where our Simpson and Bruckheimer are at. This is despite being a very high time. In more mm-hmm. ways than one for Don Simpson. Um, this is also the beginning of the end. Ooh. So get ready for that. Probably talk about some dark, dark shit. Yeah, as well. it's, it's gonna, I have a feeling the, the, the drop is uh, long and bumpy. Yeah, it's yeah. And so um, Bad Boys is, it appears currently um, available to rent $2.99 or so. From most providers mm-hmm. um and also also regularly very available on blu-ray and all that kind of thing mm-hmm. and um dangerous minds is in the same boat oh it looks like dangerous minds is on disney plus too ah. this is part of their disney era dangerous yeah, minds I mean, about four dollars to rent yeah they're t- they were touchdown joints right uh yeah hollywood pictures touchdown kind of when disney actually actively tried to have an adult arm mm-hmm they don't give a shit about one of my all. one of my favorite onion articles is uh about like kingdom Hearts, like a kingdom hearts sequel but it's like only touchstone movies mm-hmm. so it's like the final fantasy people entering the world of sister act T- turner versus hooch <laughs> yeah, turner, yeah Go- goofy and sora have to find hooch yeah Ho- hooch is uh, turns out behind it all yeah. um, i'm excited, excited for that discussion the week after that we return to Tony Scott for mm-hmm. a return engagement 
with Bobby, Bobby, Bobby Rayburn, <laughs> the fan, which we only covered, you know, nary a few months ago. We got to watch it again, but with fresh eyes, fresh Tony Scott filled eyes that Wait, I think yeah. might um, change our minds. I have a I have a certain soundboard that might be helpful oh, for yeah. okay. They to be clicking that over. And, uh, I haven't used that. You know, it's 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 hard to like organically incorporate the soundboard into our yeah. podcast, but uh, it's fun just to have. Yeah, hey, Bobby, not, like part of like the zoo crew, or you don't have that down or whatever. No, <laughs> I don't have. Yeah, I don't have the. I mean, yeah. it would be fun. Oh, that'd be kind of fun. Howard Stern's like guy who pushes pushes the button like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Except when we do it, it's uh... it's like it's technical. <laughs> anyway, we got a lot of fun stuff to come. Yes, but uh, check out Crimson Tide this week. We loved it. It's it's awesome. It's mm-hmm. it's out there streaming. It's uh it's a real winner. Yes, <laughs> if you ask me, it's a banger. <laughs> and let's just say uh, this episode. Let's say this episode. Uh... <laughs> Did you hear that? No. Didn't ah? You don't have the man. That's a bummer. Never mind. That, you haven't Patrick, heard it. Patrick got a soundboard that he's been uh, getting fun Academy Academy related quotes and drops. <laughs> um. Technical difficulties right now, but soon enough, it's going to be very funny. It's going to be Guaranteed. good. You, it's going to be I very see, you, funny. It will be, and I swear, you would have, you would have heard the, the, the last temptation of Christ. It is accomplished. Yeah. Only on this Damn show. It. It's only on this show are our drops from the movie Last Temptation of Christ. <laughs> if you, if you thought Crimson Tide was totally awesome, or perhaps you were like, man, that was some jingoistic bullshit. I agreed with neither. Both men, wrong yeah. as hell. Check in with us at the Academy Academy Podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at the Academy. We'd love to hear from y'all. Yeah. Give trying us a deserved drubbing. Trying to post more, but we are not good at posting. We've made that <sighs> yeah. very, very clear. Yeah. I've we lost pre- my posting. We, we appreciate all of you listening, though, regardless of us not being very good at the internet overall. Right. So for Patrick, I'm Don. We will see you next week on the Academy Academy. Yeah, it is a, it is accomplished. Bobby. Bobby. Hey, Bobby. Hey, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs>